are listening to Video Games to the Max. Hello and welcome to another edition of Video Games to the Max. I am your host, Sean Garmer, here with me today. Uh, Jeff from Analysa Gaming and also the Gaming Mix Podcast. How are you doing? Oh, doing quite well. How are you doing, sir? Doing okay. Just, uh, you know, getting to that end of the year. Christmas is on Monday, everybody. Some folks like us uh, in the Latino community, we celebrate on Sunday, so everything. Um, how are, How's the Christmas stuff going for you? Uh, I mean, I work kind of like almost like, like retail, so I don't really get too much time off. I'll get the Christmas day yeah. off, and then that's about it. And I work. It is what it is. I only get Christmas Eve off because it's my day off on Sunday, and then I have to work all Christmas day pretty much. Uh, So yeah, I'll have to like use my lunch break to like do the actual Christmas stuff, which is going to be great. You know, Uh, gotta love working in uh, call centers where they just never close. Yeah. (laughs) And then being a supervisor, I don't really get to decide. Like they just tell you, Oh, Hey, you're working this day. And then, Oh, oh, you're also working the next day, even though it's your day off too, because it's going to be ridiculous because all the stuff was closed on Christmas. Uh, you'd think that people would understand that your 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 doctor's office and all that stuff's closed, but you'll be amazed the amount of people that still call, thinking that they're supposed to work miracles or something. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, yeah, moving on to to uh, what we're doing here today. Uh, thank you, Jeff, also for bailing me out at the last minute. I was going to have Randy on today uh, because Mark actually has another surgery, but Randy said he woke up sick. So uh, Jeff was able to be awesome and uh, make it to where we don't have to miss two weeks, which last week I missed because it happened to be that the internet went out and it was out. I actually missed like three hours of work because it didn't come back until uh, like five o'clock. Um, oh, wow. So, you know, it is what it is. And I, I never had that problem really since I started working from home. So it was like, now I know what everybody else has been going through, which kind of sucks, <laughs> but still, <laughs> you know, um, so what we're going to do here is uh, talk about some stuff that we didn't talk about last week. So uh, the last of us online being, uh, sh- you know, stopping development. We didn't talk about the last week. So we're going to talk about this here. Also PS4, PS5 pro uh, Xbox next with all that means. And also just want to make this a point. I am aware. Jeff is aware. We're all aware of the terrible stolen data and ransomware hacks that happened to insomniac. We are not going to talk about the contents of that leak here. Um, one, because it's terrible. It's uh, stolen data. We don't need to be promoting uh, stealing things. And also uh, in solidarity with the folks at the Outer Haven, which I work with, they chose not to cover the leak. So I'm not going to uh, cover that here either. Um, I'm sure at some point, when it is well beyond our time and we're talking about the future of things in PlayStation, maybe that will come up, but we're not doing that right now. Yeah, pretty much so. all we did for on the Gaming Mix podcast is we just, we just talked about the human factor of like how it yeah. affects Omniac because it's it, it sucks. Yeah, uh, we are going to talk about, use a little bit of data from there to talk about a broader topic about AAA gaming sustainability. So just going to to be fair uh, about that, but we're not going to talk about contents that are in the leak itself. So with all of that being said, um, Jeff's also been talking about, or also been playing the Avatar Avatar Frontiers of Pandora game as well. So we'll get to 
into that too. So let's talk about all those things and more right after this. All right. So let's go ahead, I guess, get the whole thing out of the way here. Start with the big topic. So Jeff, uh, I mean, you guys might've brought this up as well. Um, and you just talked about the whole thing with the hacks. So um, I'm sure by this point, it happened a while ago. You guys that are probably watching or listening, or maybe you don't know that Insomniac was uh, hacked uh, by a terrible uh, ransomware attack. They stole um, various uh, things that are in it. Like 1.9 uh, terabytes of data. Yeah, and, and it involves also personal information, which is the worst part of it as well. Um, and also things about their upcoming games and, and all of that stuff. I'm not going to get into the specifics about what it all entails. Yeah. Uh, there are places that have decided to cover that and that is well within their rights that, uh, you know, there was a whole discourse about what journal gaming journalists are supposed to do compared to, uh, you know, gaming podcasts and other things. We don't need to get into that either. I don't think that that's useful. And I don't think that, you know, especially when they're I'm using old. pictures from the actual leak. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. but um, and it definitely sucks for the people. I feel so terrible for the folks at Insomniac. Um, as always, as also for Capcom many years ago, when you have this kind of thing happen, it's just awful, right? Like, I think that's the thing that gets lost in all this. It's it's all about like what that affects the. I think uh, uh, Jason Schreier had a thing this morning about what all they have to go through now, and we're talking about the holidays. Like what they have to deal with, just thinking about what's going to happen to you, you know, could possibly happen now. Uh, just at a terrible time. Just yeah, because I remember people having to move when the ESA leaked. Like they're yeah. Dead. I mean, Jeff Grubb got a phone call from a known stalker of his saying, "I have your phone number now." Yeah, just incredible to me that like people don't realize how it's different if. Like uh, folks have said, you know, hey, this stuff got posted on LinkedIn by accident or somebody posted a link they weren't supposed to or like, like the, the, the FTC thing earlier with Xbox. Yeah. Like that's different than like it's the, the leaks are different if it's something like the 90 clips of the GTA stuff that is currently going through court. You know, it's different when like footage of a game is kind of released, you know, mm -hmm. prematurely to it, like an actual announcement or whatever, because again, like that's not putting creators in harm's way. Whereas right. a leak like this, essentially where personal information was leaked, like um, it's the human cost on it is substantial. Yeah, and exactly. It, it puts them in like the, the crosshairs because like people don't care if you're a, a texture artist or an audio recorder or like audio, audio, audio um, engineer. If they don't like a the game, they're going to harass the first person they can if they have direct information to you. Right, um, then that's their outlet, and it sucks. Uh, definitely. Uh, so, getting into the the, I think a lot of the topic that has been uh, brought forth out of this, aside from the actual what's in the leak, is this thought of because uh, part of what something that was revealed in there is that Marvel Spider Man Two's budget inflated to over three hundred dollars, three hundred million dollars, and. It brought up the light. Also, let's go ahead and bring in uh, The Last of Us Online. Development shutting down with PlayStation wanting to push towards games of service. And then uh, basically Naughty Dog had to put out a statement saying, we had to make a decision, one or the other. Either you get games of service, Last of Us factions, online, whatever you want to call it, or you get the next Naughty Dog single player game. 
And mm-hmm. now it, it also made Sony have to make the PlayStation have to make their whole decision about how many games and service games are going to come out. How much are they spending on budget compared Wait, to if they're going yeah. to come out? If, if their first one after this initiative is not yeah. coming out and it's a tentpole one for them, what does that mean for the next ones? Like, are they going to be drastically inferior in, in quality? And, like, and, and Bungie, too, right? They have the, the one that's supposed to be aside from Destiny 2 uh, Marathon. Like, do we even know what's going on with that, too? So, yeah, it, it's this thought of what is AAA gaming sustainable? in the way that it that it currently is like yeah. do you fear that we're going to get one of the other where it's game prices are going to have to go up to justify this or do you see more of like budgets going down where do you think the i don't think the game price is going up because i mean games are already at an all-time high pretty much in regards to kind of like what they're they're costing and, and what you're getting out of it i don't think anyone wants to pay you know like paying 90 dollars now for for most AAA stuff like I don't think anybody wants to be $90 for a eight to 10 or 15 hour experience, like, and pricing like per hour, like, um, what is it? Zelnick was trying to like cast upon like the, the industry of like charging per hour. I don't think that works as well too, because you can put, you know, 6,000 hours into to Fortnite or something like that. And that's free to play. You know, yeah. if you're getting something that's like, you know, say spider Island or whatever their, their multiplayer Spider-Man game is, rumor to be or whatever like that and they're charging ninety dollars for that and you're getting six hours like six you know six thousand hours of it same as Fortnite. where does that cost kind of relay between free to play and a paid game right you know it it it's going to vary it's it, it's definitely going to vary on on kind of what the games are but i don't think like for a standard edition of a game i mean like even the standard edition of dragon's dogma is over a hundred bucks. Yeah. Um, and that, I mean, also adding in like, you know, they like to already put in the digital deluxe editions and which automatically puts it at 10 more dollars and, and those kind of things. And do you have, like, let's say they did go that route because we've heard Capcom talk about it. The games are, are are too cheap for them. Like what they decide to uh, price things at Dragon's Dawn is going to be their first $70 game. Uh, we yeah. see the industry basically make a shift to seventy dollars. Do you have like a where it makes you go, okay? I think I'm not going to be able to buy this many games now if we get to eighty dollars or ninety dollars. Yeah, I mean, for me, like Game Pass has been a savior for me because it's, right. it's supported yeah. that, and I mean, I have access to to certain codes and stuff. I don't have Capcom or anything like that. So, I mean, Dragon's Dogma is going to be a hard pill to swallow when I actually have to purchase it. Um, yeah, I think, honestly, I don't think prices for games should need to go up. I think the optimization of developing them should be more streamlined in, in regards to, like, you know, maybe games just need to take a little bit longer with smaller teams. Because, like, you take a look at, like, or the expectations of what those games should visually look like. I think people demanding the highest graphical fidelity out of games, I think, is a bit unrealistic when you have games that like are like Super Mario Wonder, which was up for Game of the Year. And that's not a visually like astonishing game in regards to its contemporaries. Like it's a good looking game, but Nintendo has proved that you don't need to be the top of the fidelity like pyramid essentially to mm-hmm. to be a game that is going to push units. Um so I mean like it it's it sucks for some teams like you know, again, you have Insomniac who essentially are working on like three games right now, and they're one of Sony's biggest studios. 
Um, I think there's like 400 people or something there. Um, mm -hmm. That's more than Gorilla. That's more than Gorilla. That's more than Naughty Dog. Um, and those games had like a 200, 200 to 213 million dollar budget. Spider-Man had a much bigger budget, and it was only available right. on one platform. Um, you know, because like there's difference when you have like uh, Horizon, for example, which was running on um, PS4 and PS5. Same with God of War. Um, but I mean, the fact that Spider-Man 2 is only running on one piece of hardware right. would it have been more expensive if they would have made it for PS4 as well? I, uh, I mean, also, you know, you got to take into account like inflation, which has taken place yeah. since that game started development, where those where all those developers live, how much are they getting paid? Uh, the Marvel license itself, which, you know, that also costs money, um, how much money they have to make in order to in order to keep having the Marvel license. Um, so like all of that kind of goes into effect. And then I, I thought it was very, like very um, telling that there was uh, supposedly developers discussing, they added so much of this budget and then a developer asks, will players even be able to see that this budget was inflated? Like, will they be able to tell that this was this cost more right yeah. um it's a little bit different than in a movie where you can kind of tell the difference of yeah like, and even people were complaining about the length of spider-man 2 you know in terms of like you know how much you're getting out of it and stuff like that but i mean for me it's like that game still felt like like it had filler like there's lots of stuff i think they could have cut out to to kind of save the budget um but yeah, I mean it. It's it's one of those things where it's the expectation of gamers and stuff like that of where they feel like they're getting the value um, out of a game and stuff like that. And because there's there's tons of games that are like a third of the price and are just as long of those games, and they're getting the the same kind of recognition out of those games, especially right. for like replay, whether it's like multiplayer, co-op, or anything like that. Like single player games still have a, a purpose, but I don't think you push the price up on those because that just makes them less opportun opportunistic to, to like recoup those losses. Cause like most people, like they, they, they took a look at Avatar and they're like, well, I don't want to pay $70 for that. I'm gonna wait for a sale. And then right. that impacts that initial bottom line. I mean, right now the season that we're in will automatically drive prices down. I mean, Avatar is available for like 40% of what it was or 40% off right now. Um, you know, so you're, you're gonna get those, those those situations where if you outprice your game, no one's gonna care. It's the same price as like DLC. Like if you if you put a game that out or a DLC out that's cheap enough that people find value of it, they're going to purchase it. You know, that's why we're seeing like, you know, even Capcom struggling with DLC prices for their costumes in Street Fighter Six. Like they're expensive for kind of what you get. You know, so if you have that cheaper value and cheaper cost, more people are going to purchase it. Alan Wake, I think, was, you know, like an interesting one because it didn't have to worry about the physical cost of printing discs because it was a digital only. So, like, there's right. there are cost-cutting things, and whether or not that leads us into, say, you know, say God of War 3 or Spider-Man 3 or whatever, like, if they only release digitally at the start to cut those costs and then do um, physical editions... But but they but can they also afford that right? Because a lot of the talk around now, obviously, this is in 
I think this is a little bit different because Alan Wake is Alan Wake Two, Alan Wake, all of that is much more niche game. Yeah. Right. I, I want to see what happens if, but a lot of the talk is the fact that what Alan Wake Two should have had a physical version. I would have bought the game, and you see a lot of that, right? You see a yeah. lot of people talking about, well, I don't want to support digital only uh, this game the first one had physical edition all the other remedy games had physical editions this should have had one too i want to see what happens if marvel spider-man 3 what happens if the next call of duty what happens if the next like ea sports fc 25 or whatever they only come digital only will that make a difference because you don't see the box in the store will you not get the casual well, I mean, game. You're, you're, right. you're generally not seeing the box in the store on any, on almost right. any game because like Walmart has dwarfed their gaming. Best Buy has pretty right. much dwarfed their gaming. Like everybody has been removing their products from box stores to a certain degree. I mean, I think digital is kind of in that way where it's going to kind of take over. But the same thing relies is like you get a game that is like the caliber of Spider-Man. And if it's only available on digital, people are going to buy it. You know, even if like even the people like sure you're going to have the the physical only crowd, but in regards to the grand scheme of things, I think the I will only buy physical is a much smaller number than I think we're oh, getting yeah. credit for. And so then all of a sudden you have people essentially double dipping because like say for example that you that you you get um, Baldur's Gate three, you know, which sold fairly well for what it is. The moment that they put out the physical edition, which is coming, how many people that own the digital one are also going to buy the physical one. Right. Exactly. That's true. too. So you essentially have people buying the game twice. And I mean, like that's not unheard of. I mean, and usually the box one comes with other stuff. So it's then the same price as when you bought it originally. Whereas by now the digital one is on a sale. Double dipping isn't, isn't, isn't new. I mean, tons of, tons of companies have have done it. I mean, they, they did that with like last of us remastered as well too. Um, but yeah, like it, it's just one of those things where it's like, I don't think increasing the price of the game is going to, I think that would actually counter what they're trying to do because they're trying to push as many units as they possibly can to garner sales. And I think that if you outpace that that bottom, like that, that kind of ceiling that they've placed right now with the 70 US dollar game, which is about $90 Canadian, give or take, you know, I think it, I think it creates a situation where they just, they outprice their audience yeah because i don't think anyone's willing to pay like a hundred dollars for like a 15. well not only that i think what we're seeing also right now which is what worries me is all of this where we need to go after established ip because it's the only thing that will guarantee that you're going to sell uh that much and be able to charge yeah that much well, there, right? there's there's comfort in the in in a familiar product and stuff you know, it's just, it's the same reason why, like, I think Blade is going to be the best-selling game that um, Arcane Leon is. Oh, yeah. You know, like, there's there's established property, and, like, you can you can get sales, you can get those types of sales out of out of new properties that generally will usually take an iteration or two to really get. Because, um, I mean, like, you know, God of War sold fairly well on the, the PS2 and PS3, but, like, when you when you kind of re- revamp it and bring it in for like PS4 and PS5, it's it's definitely going to sell more because you've had that history to build up that IP. And some of these games don't get the the luxury of uh, creating a new IP and then having it last. They'll they'll you know, whether it's Days Gone or whatever the case is, where like 
people generally like it. They want to see another one, but not enough people supported, you know, the, the, the first game. Yeah. I mean, it's telling that, uh, you know, gameindustry.biz released their, you know, 2023 whole like big old infographic that they do every year. And the top 10 games are all franchises that are well-established yeah. except for Starfield. But Starfield also has the whole, it's coming from a well-known dev- developer that everybody yeah. knows. And uh, so it's like, this is why they need to inflate the budget of Spider-Man because they know that people will buy it. Right. Um, whereas to try to do all that with a new IP is dangerous because it doesn't sell. Well, yeah, and, they, they have yeah. to have a return. They have to like, right. you know, like very few companies are willing to take risks in that regards because the expectation for triple a has become unrealistic you know like if spider-man 2 had you know set a ceiling in regards to what it was attempting to do and the scope and scale of it it would be a much i think safer bet for sony to kind of continue doing those prestige style games but again like these companies are choosing to make their games bigger and bigger and bigger every year to the point with if you're doing spider-man 3 and it's not bigger and bigger and bigger you know what are you know fans are 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 not going to kind of take to that because they're going to see like this smaller experience because like people had that issue with miles morales saying like oh this game is only like six or eight hours or whatever the case is but personally i thought it was a better game than the other spider-man game so like i think when you set like the scale of, of of how these games are they don't need to be bigger they just need to be better and right. you know that that will impact the cost as well because if you're if you're not making these games that are absolutely massive and you're creating these curated like you know 10 to 15 hour games like top you know of doing everything you're gonna get more games more often mm-hmm. but yeah I, I mean, I, I do think that, you know, like you're saying, it does make a difference into, you know, lower your budget a bit. Understand that game, you need to start conditioning gamers that, listen, we can't just keep ballooning the budget. This is not like a movie, a movie thing where we can just keep blowing this up. Even Marvel is starting to realize that themselves. Look at how many of their movies have failed now. Um, and they might have to start cutting back themselves on how much they spend and gaming needs to do that too because uh, even Sean Layden said it in 2020 he he said we cannot keep having AAA games continue to blow up budgets and then think that because you're at that mercy of what if this doesn't work how many people are you going to have to lay off how many people are are going to uh, um how many jobs will be lost how many Will this IP continue? Like this whole, how much devastation is it going to affect? Yeah. Because you had to take such a big risk to to blow up the budget again. Well, if you take and, a look at, if you take a look at like Sony, like do you think Sony in the next say six years are going to take any risks whatsoever? No. no. Do you think Xbox are going to take a lot of risks in the next six years? Yes. Yes, and, and, I, and I think with, also because they are okay with releasing different budget games because yeah. of Game Pass. Because right. that that's the one thing that has like is to me is making Xbox a, a better publisher in regards to the games is the variety and the scale and scope of what they're doing. Like Sony would never have greenlit a, a Pentiment, like at right, all. No. 
Yeah, yeah, and like Pentanim is it's a lot of people's game of the year. Um, so like that's one thing is like the one thing that I like what Xbox is doing in regards to what they're doing for AAA is they're creating a vast assortment of of games and they're not going after these like high-end prestigious games which some people like some people don't like you know like we'll we'll remain to see what a quadruple a looking game looks like with perfect dark you know but you know until we see something like that we don't know what xbox's prestige game would be like i still would consider hellblade 2 to be that because i think that is going to be one of the best looking games. period mm -hmm. But at the exact same time, I wouldn't be a bit surprised if that game's 12 hours. Oh, yeah. I, I don't think it's going to be more than 15 hours at the most yeah. because they don't. But that's going to be the only thing we're going to talk about from the Sony angle. And that's what they don't realize is you get other ones like Sony when they released at the start of the PS4 generation, the Order 1886. That game was like, what, three hours? Yeah. It looked amazing. But, you know, they they knew the the scale of what they could do. Like, I don't know what the budget of that game was, but it couldn't be anywhere near even the first horizon. Yeah, and I think you brought up a good point about streaming services. Like, you know, Xbox has obviously accepted this is what we're doing, this is our direction, whereas Sony is still sort of, oh, the service is great, it's here, but we're not aiming for that, right? And in fact, uh, something that came out in, the, in, the, in all of that is that apparently when they put Horizon Forbidden West on PS Plus, they lost a bunch of revenue that they cost possibly could have had because people stopped buying the game because it was on PS Plus, right? Do you think that maybe they look at what Xbox is doing and saying, maybe we do need to make different experiences and include... They made the indie deals, right, where they put the indie games on PS Plus day one or whatever, but we're not seeing them make smaller Sony games and say, let's put these on to get people to no, but I think it would be smart for them to do that because like it would show that the 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 first party kind of supports that thing because Sony has had a history where they do not support their own endeavors. They allow third party companies to essentially do it. I mean, that's why the Vita died, that's why the PSP died. Sony was just doing nothing with it. That's why PSVR one and two have done nothing because Sony themselves have done really nothing to promote those services. So like until you see Sony actually participate in putting their content on those services it's falling on third party and it all that all depends on their deals that depends on their negotiations that they're making with third party companies and you'll right. see that a lot of companies like sea of stars or whatever like where they have it where it comes on xbox game pass day one and playstation plus day one because they see what xbox is doing they go after it and say hey we'll give you this amount of money can we put it on the service and go from there but Xbox is fully supporting Game Pass. They're behind that. They're they're giving you legit reasons to subscribe. In it. Sony, for me, has not given me a reason to subscribe for PlayStation Plus at all, like at all. So like for their prestige games, like, yeah, sure, I'll, I'll buy them throughout the year. Like I'm going to be more selective just because like I don't like Naughty Dog's output. But in terms of like Insomniac and like um, Sony Santa Monica, like, yeah, sure. I'll buy those games day one. That studio has done nothing to deter me from getting those games. So whatever Corey Barlog's team's working on, I'll be there day one. Right. Yeah. And I, and I think that's this is what's going to wind up happening. You're either going to get where they, they feel like Sony says, well, we can't stop doing what we do 
we're going to have to just make our games even either more expensive or we're going to have to go back and and do something else. And then people will then have to we already have trouble buying everyday things. If you make things more expensive or you or you don't want to uh, accept that you won't be able to do what you've always done yeah. uh, recently, you will get to the point where people will just say, OK, there's going to be more people that do what what the, what a lot of the casuals do is I'm going to have my one, two games that I buy a year, and that's it. Everything else is a sale. And then guess what happens? A lot of your your big old numbers that you get to promote at the beginning of, oh, our game just sold a ton, that's going to start diminishing and diminishing. And and because you decided not to accept the fact that you need to to get with the times and, and you want to try to buck the trend, it I think it's going to end up hurting them also. And I, And I think that's why we've seen them they are trying to pivot towards games of service because they know that's like guaranteed money. But then they also realize, oh, wait, we're going to have to spend a lot of money to do games of service. Like what happened with Naughty Dog? And it's like, see, it's uh, like in a perfect world, the, the last of us uh, online, the, the stuff that they canceled, they could have basically just laid the foundation in a very Naughty Dog way. And then had the team that was going to do the um, uh, last of us Two remaster or last of us remaster take over on that but they ended up taking that over in-house i can't remember the the studio um but like because like i don't think naughty dog themselves needs to make that right and they said it themselves they're not really a multiplayer service studio right no but i mean they've they had multiplayer in the last of us and didn't people enjoy that so like why this is what i mean i get it that their whole pivot was service right yeah. But like, why couldn't they have had a Ghost of Tsushima type multiplayer mode again, just to have multiplayer? Yeah, exactly. Because like they they make that statement, but then like, is Sucker Punch suddenly a a multiplayer studio? No, they're doing both, and they pulled off both extremely well. You know, like had it been just like a mode, like to me, it just sounds like the scale of what they were making outpaced what it should have just been. Right. Like. If they if if that would have just been a multiplayer mode added into Last of Us, you know, it, you know, maybe it's microtransaction heavy or whatever the case is to to generate income because, you know, do you charge for it? You know, like do you do you just include it in the game and then suddenly more copies of you know, um, Last of Us Part Two sells because like you take a look at like No Man's Sky, No Man's Sky's all of its updates have been free. And that's been financially successful for them. People just kept buying the game. Right. But I don't know. I, it, to me, it just sounded like that Last of Us thing was a bigger scale than it needed to be. Right. And maybe that's what Bungie saw as well, that this is starting to become, maybe you need to focus on this and this and this of it and not just making it a bigger game. Yeah. Uh, people, and people, they looked at it and said, oh, oh, if we do that, then we'll have to completely change what the game is. And Yeah. Because people have talked about like, oh, like Microsoft's all this money. Why don't they put like all the all the like their like all their money into these games and all that kind of stuff to make them look that good? And my my answer has always been like, if you have like you know, if you're a homeowner and you have like fifteen million dollars, are you going to spend it all on the stairs? No, <laughs> you're going to spread it across yeah. the entire house. Right. And that's what people just don't understand is that they need to be able to spread the budget that they have across all of these different games. And there's there's no company that has an infinite budget because they need to get a return on it. You're not going right. to see a game. You're not, you're not going to see 
any studio, you know, wanting success, spending more than like five hundred million dollars on a game. Spider Man. Yeah. I mean, the only people that can seemingly do it and recoup all their money is Rockstar because they come out with like one game a generation, and then everybody just plays that game. For, well, I mean, yeah, know, the, the one, yeah. the one, one game a generation that's only been for like the past like what five or six years, right? Because yeah. like before they were producing like three to four games pretty much. I mean, they had what two or three Grand Theft Autos just on the PlayStation 2. Exactly. But yeah. because of the scale, because of these games having to be the most graphical masterpieces of all time, you're never going to get Rockstar making more than one game at a time. Yeah. And even then they're alternating it with Red Dead, but then, you know, you're having to wait a long time for the next Red Dead to come as well because they, again, like you said, they have to make they definitely do have to make it a masterpiece because they have to get all of that money back, which is um, talk about a movie type budget. Those games are, but they're so beloved that people would just keep making them. And then they found a cash cow with Grand Theft Auto online with, with GTA five. Well, and just and were able to- the other thing that most people aren't even kind of paying attention to is that there was no Grand Theft Auto last generation. Right. Yeah. They just redid five. Yeah. They just re-released that. So we went an entire console generation without having like a Rockstar game. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I mean, I mean a Grand Theft Auto. Because we had... We had um, we have Red Dead, yeah. We had Red Dead. You know, so like, it's just, you know, these companies are not in... These companies are not set up to create more than like one or two games, basically a generation now. Because right. like, you know, we're going to get maybe like one more Sony Santa Monica game for this generation, right? probably maybe and even then god of war ragnarok was built as a ps4 game so we're going to get one ps5 game out of that studio if so like most of these studios now if it's taking four five six years and a console cycle is six seven or eight we're going to get one game from each studio across a generation and like that to me is like it's because the expectations for these games have become let's make the most graphical masterpiece there is the biggest game, yada, 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 like all those types of things. But I don't think they really need to. Like, yeah, I think they just no, need they to make good games. Yeah, they don't really need to. And, and you don't need to have. And that's the thing, too, is like, it's not just one. It's almost uh, so many of their studios are that way. Yeah. Right. So it's not like to use the term for Xbox in this way, like, OK, you have Ninja Theory doing Hellblade. You had. Uh, you have Todd Howard doing Starfield and then obviously Elder Scrolls and the next Fallout or whatever. Uh, you don't, they don't have every single studio of theirs doing something like that, right? So that they have games coming out on a regular basis. And they even have some, like Obsidian, working on several games at once, right? And not just, not just okay, this one game that we take three million years to make and then, okay, finally comes out and it's amazing. But then what's after that, you know? And then like right now, there's so much uncertainty yeah. as to what Sony is doing for 2024 because of that. And we, also, don't even, you know. we don't even know if all of Ninja Theory is working on Hellblade 2 because the first Hellblade was only made with 14 people. Right. Or I mean, they do team, have that other Project Mara, whatever that is, that yeah. we still don't, you know. Um, but just to, just to move on for, for a moment to like the future, I guess. Yeah. Um, is you know that Jeff Grubb was uh, talking about on his uh, Game Mess podcast that pretty much certainly at this point there is going to be 
uh, PS5 Pro possibly coming out even, you know, this coming year. And also kind of said that uh, these same people that have been leaking the information about a, a PS5 Pro are also talking about Xbox may have canceled what we saw in the FTC leaks with the Xbox uh, trash bin looking thing that's supposed to be there all digital. (laughs) And then they're just going to make a whole new console and then start the generation earlier in 2026. See, to me, and this this is just me thinking, if you start the generation early, you risk falling way behind. Especially if Sony goes like, oh, that's your specs and you're releasing next year. Fine. We'll release in a year later and we'll dominate those specs. Like right. it's different when consoles come out at the exact same time. But at the exact same time, there is a bare minimum threshold of what a developer has of baking a game that is parity across all of them. So sometimes having that power is only good for your first party titles because you don't have to worry about other SKUs. Right. But yeah, I don't know. Like the pro was kind of at an opportunity where it, it kind of made sense. But right now, I don't think we've had really any teams really take advantage of the hardware that's out right now to to justify a pro. Like, what is this pro going to do? Is it going to do like real time, like ray tracing, just way better in constant frame rates? Or are we going to see like substantial things that make these games really, really take advantage of the power? So I don't know. And, and can they do it if they need to uh, reduce budgets? And, yeah, exactly. Oh, like, like, like it's you know it, it's kind of one of those things where it's like you know Sony is getting these developers to make these games, but they've suddenly put like razor blades on their chairs. You know, like it just it's such a weird thing where they're like, yeah, we're going to make a more powerful PS5, but we won't have the budget to take advantage of it. So you're just going to get like real-time ray tracing and, and the dlss one. right so yeah. they don't have to do so much uh with the graphical work as far yeah. as making it look i guess native 4k or even better than well yeah because um, the ps4 yeah. was just like checkerboard rendering pretty much across all of it like they right. games weren't even running in 4k yeah i don't know i mean this is the same sony that was like you're gonna have 8k gaming yeah no you're not gonna have 8k gaming but just to play i guess devil's advocate in a moment like couldn't it also work in their favor as well of what if this is another 360 type thing where they get to be first and people jump on it and they actually do make games that are, I mean, I don't know that, I, I, you know, what Xbox is, it, you know, this doesn't seem like something that they, I don't know how far in advance they've have this next Xbox in development or if they did at one point have it, for 2028 and then decide that maybe we need to move this up because we're already, we already lost this generation as uh, Phil Spencer says, but then they also don't, they also talk about how much they, they care about the box, but they don't care about the box. So, yeah, I mean, the, the only way that I think Xbox kind of, kind of works to create, to, to, to release a, like a, a new Xbox and say 2026 or whatever the case is, and then still have a leg in the race when Sony would pull out a a title or a a brand new console, say in 2027 or 2028, is if you just kind of adapt the PC route and you make a large component of that console, what makes the console upgradable. So then all of a sudden when PlayStation releases their specs or whatever, then Xbox's main unit, they could sell you essentially that upgrade that essentially to kind of like 
install it in there. And again, like that just becomes a PC at that point. But if you make it a streamlined process, then they don't have to fall behind. Because I think if Xbox releases a console in 2026 and Sony waits until 2028, then what is Xbox going to, they're going to have two years to compete before Sony releases something that is one, unrealistic because budgets, but I, I don't know. The, the return on gaming is becoming such a weird thing. Right. Whereas you can promise the world in graphics, you can be like, oh, you're going to get like, you know, 120 frames per second and true 4K and real time ray tracing. But do these publishers have the budget to really pull that off? I don't think so. And do the majority of gamers, number one, care? And then number two, have the, the hardware to also, like, you know, you also have the TV. You also have to have the TV that will do that and everything yeah. else. So it's like, are you wanting to do the big upgrade to perhaps not even get that? Like, two or, like we've already seen, you said with this generation, right? We haven't really had people just blow us out of the water, except maybe Alan Wake 2 and a few others that, really just oh wow this game looks amazing this looks like what you promised us you know and until i feel like until we get that with a lot of games if they can even do that because of like you said the return on on gaming at this point why are we even talking about releasing another console why are we even talking about uh i mean i can kind of understand the pro part just because i guess sony wants to make sure they keep getting people buying their console but it's not like people are not buying the console right now. I mean, it, it's, it, it's selling three to one over Xbox or whatever. And maybe that's why Xbox is thinking about maybe we need to start the generation faster. But I feel like there's if they're going to do that, there's got to be some kind of something that allows maybe it is more cloud based, right, where they can use the cloud like they promised with Xbox One when, with uh, Xbox Series games to work on Xbox One because of the cloud making them work or whatever. Would mm -hmm. that be able to facilitate them not being at such a graphical disadvantage at that point when you get to 2028? Um, I mean, this is all speculation. They may not do any of this. Right? Oh, of course. Other like, than the pro, uh, they may not do any of this. So we're just we're just going with that speculation. But it, it is interesting to think about would it even benefit to make console generations shorter when Nintendo's doing the opposite and they're 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 ba raking in the money. Right, the uh, the switch has lasted how long? We don't even know for sure if the switch two is going to come out the next year or not, and they're still selling like crazy. Uh, do you think it's possible? Maybe if Xbox is French, you know, maybe maybe this whole thing works like Xbox once with Activision Blizzard, and they get all these known franchises that all of a sudden start doing very well for them. Could that possibly be something that helps them say, okay, we can because we've Nintendoized some of our our franchises now people will come regardless of whether the graphical quality is ridiculous they will still come for whatever blizzard makes whatever activision makes whatever bethesda makes yeah i mean xbox definitely has a lot going for them i mean you know sony's even kind of shown that they're kind of like concerned about what microsoft has just because like they are kind of getting their hands in as many pies as they possibly can, cloud gaming, um, whether it's like going on mobile and stuff, they've been releasing their stuff day and date on PC. So like they've got a good revenue stream because you take a look at like how much money Xbox is actually bringing in and still being like um, a, the, being down three to one 
I don't think that concerns them really that much at all. I think it's going to be a lot scarier when you start getting that two to one or one to one. And then if Xbox does have that ability to kind of leapfrog, but yeah, like I th honestly, like I think it's Xbox, like having Activision is going to be a huge, a huge boon because of the properties that it has, whether that means like the future of Diablo, the future of Overwatch, the future of Call of Duty, like there are plans in place for a lot of that stuff being on other platforms because of pre-existing deals and things that they needed to do to get that deal signed. Um, but I mean, they've got a lot of other games as well, too, because I know people have been wanting like another prototype. They've been wanting like a return to like a, some of the other shooters that like Raven was working on and all sorts of stuff. Plus a lot of backlogged stuff, like whether it's like, you know, Hexen and, and all these other games and stuff like that, because there's a lot of properties that Xbox have that resonate with a certain amount of, of audience. I don't think every single one of those games are amazing big sellers um but they do have those they do have those games that will kind of definitely help them that don't have to be these big massive scale games with outrageous budgets because i think probably like the biggest budget game coming out of microsoft is probably going to be either fable or the next years and then perfect dark as well yeah and uh thank you to the uh it, the LinkedIn person that commented about yeah, I'm glancing at it as yeah. much reading and talking as much as I can. Yeah, the indie indie developers, right? We've seen so much indies be able to kind of become like a, a I guess the double A of what we used to have, what we used to call double A, right? And yeah. and so many triple A developers now. What happened with it? you just mentioned God of War Ragnarok? What's like the big thing with the indies right now is roguelikes roguelikes yeah you know so oh let's now they have two of their major games last of us uh part two remastered and god of war oh let's just have a roguelike mode and of course they did a great job with god of war of adding in story stuff and whatever that makes that like it, i still can't believe that thing's free but like that's the kind of thing that you we look we talk about triple a and and all this stuff about how oh triple a is the yes yeah, triple a is the one that gets everybody's attention but now indies can also, if AAA gets too much and we start increasing the prices of AAA and, and people will start looking at indies and saying, well, but this game kind of does what that game does. Well, I don't technically, need to spend that much money to get this. Get the same technically, experience. an indie game won game of the year. Yeah, technically, yeah. yeah because right, Layrand is independent. And I mean, like you take a look at like most people's top 10 lists for across outlets and stuff like that. And a lot of that stuff is indie as well, because a lot of those games kind of resonate. They kind of do things and take risks, whereas like most big publishers are not taking risks anymore. They're not even publishing weird things like Ubisoft used to publish the weirdest stuff. They're no longer doing that. They're like 90 percent of their stuff is like Ubisoft originals. And then the other 10 percent is like you know, uh, other things like Avatar. But I mean, like it, you're not going to see most AAA kind of taking on um, as big of risks for a lot of their bigger stuff. Like even Xbox, like their risks are a lot smaller games. But I mean, again, like Pentinent resonated for people. Um, Grounded was super fun. Like I enjoyed playing that game as well, too. Right. And that's one thing I like about Xbox is they are creating those experiences. Whereas, like, I would love to see Sony making some of those games. Like, I would love to see, like, a almost, like, 2D, like, 
Ratchet and Clank, you know, something that had like that 2.5D or something like that, or whether or not they they get a team to make like a Jack and Daxter game that is like a smaller budget type of thing. Like if they remade Jack and Daxter, that could be a smaller budget game. It doesn't have to be a big, massive thing. But I don't know. It's the budgets for these games are getting out of control and the sustainability is very, very, very tough because especially when you got, you know, companies that are doing completely like all three companies are doing completely different things. You know, Sony is keeping to their prestige stuff. Xbox is basically creating a lot of variety to kind of grow Game Pass. And Nintendo, again, is like dancing to the beat of their own drum. Like they don't care what anybody else is doing. I mean, like if you take a look at the leaked specs for the next Switch, like it's it's as powerful as like the consoles are pretty much like last gen. Yeah. But I don't know. It it all comes down to like what these companies are doing to kind of stay afloat. And I don't think Sony is going to be able to keep creating these these uh big massive, you know, two hundred to three hundred million dollar games. I don't think that is going to I don't think that's going to work. And like, you know, I don't know who's going to be taking over for Sony after, you know, Jim Ryan leaves. Um, But obviously they're going to have something put in, in, in place to kind of like, okay, what is going to be our ceiling for these games? What is going to be, you know, like the, the budget that they need to, because they, they can't make another Spider-Man two that is that expensive. Right. Um, And I I think he also brings up a good point too, that, uh, this is why they may also continue, you know, Sony may may go into some kind of uh, acquisition because they need studios that already know how to make these smaller games that are not going to pro- make make Naughty Dog and make uh, well, Insomniac and make everybody else have to do that. Now we have these well, other studios that will do that also. See, the, the stupid thing is like with that kind of reasoning as well, too, is like, you know, this you know, the the information that's come out of whether or not of, of people that they've had to let go essentially from like Insomniac, like why not kind of just take those people and form another studio because you have like Insomniac to me is the most well-oiled machine Sony has. The, the right. output that they have is uh, astonishing. They already have two games this generation. Yeah. Technically and... three if you count Miles Morales. Right. So, I mean, like, if you can't make them work with the amount of people that they have, acquiring more people just doesn't, acquiring more studios doesn't make any sense considering right. like we already have rumors of another Sony studio being shut down this year. You know, yeah, it, that, it, that's what makes me sad about like Japan studio. They made some of the weirdest yeah. stuff, but it was like something you could count on to be like, this is going to be good. It may not be like the biggest hit of the world, but yeah. it's going to be good. But I mean, like, know? The acquisitions that Sony and Microsoft have both made have been realistic to the company and their goals. Right. It's when you get acquisitions like through Embracer where they're just kind of like, let's buy everybody and yeah. then completely screw them over after because they, they you know, of, of all the stuff that's been happening with Embracer. Because like everyone talks about like Xbox owns so many studios. They're like, oh my God, they only have 30 studios. Yeah. Embracer owns like what, 200 studios? It's not yeah. even in the same ballpark. Like at all, like Embracer bought way too much, but they also were hedging their bets on a $2 billion deal from Saudi. Yeah. Like, I don't know why Xbox just didn't go in going, hey, here's like 600 million or whatever and make all of your games available on Game Pass for the next decade. 
You know, like there's deals. Like, I mean, they own. Who, they who own knows if maybe they did and Embracer was like, no, you know, it's so. Yeah. We don't need money. We'd rather just shutter these three studios. Yeah. Like, it's, it's, it's really unfortunate what's having an Embracer. And unfortunately, it's probably going to continue into 2024 as well. Oh, 2024 is going to be worse. Everyone yeah. thought this year is going to be bad. 2024 is going to be way worse for layoffs. Yeah. It's going to be stupid. And it's just because and that, the company that sucks again, for yeah, they're they're hedging their bets on all these types of deals and stuff going through. And like, you know, like they own the Lord of the Rings license. They could have sold that for the two billion, you know, that they were making. They, I don't know. There's so many things that that Embracer could have done to essentially fuel that money. Um, but I mean, like they don't have that 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 fallback capital that you know, like Microsoft has, for example. Like Microsoft right. so much money. Um, but I mean, again, I th- I think we're still going to see. Um, you know, more layoffs, I think, even from Microsoft. Yeah, uh, definitely do. Um, you know, we've seen it from uh, so many studios this year, and it's unfortunate. And that is uh, one thing I do think that if the further and further we get, as uh, also that infographic pointed out, that 83% of games were bought digitally this year, uh, as opposed to 17% physical, which is a crazy number. Uh, and then revenues, I think, are like 95 to 5%. That the more and more you do digital, the more and more visibility you might have for these indies that do similar things to what the AAA games are doing. And you might yeah. have people start moving towards like, oh, I can play, you know, let's play to these more of these Baldur's Gates, Sea of Stars, uh, et cetera. And, and they become just as big as yeah, some of these. Microsoft um, yeah, like the, uh, the comment just kind of posts now is like, you have a lot of like indie games that can now self-publish because it's incredibly easy for them to do that because before they had to rely on publishers, you know, like whether it's going to like E3 and making negotiations with those companies, there's tons of companies that are also reaching out to um, like, you know, Xbox or PlayStation or whatever the case is to kind of have um, like Game Pass deals because there was the, I can't remember the name of it, um, there was a game that came out a couple weeks ago on Xbox where they ended up, because of the deal they got with Microsoft, they ended up delaying the game for a year and building even more content because they're like, well, we can now make the game we wanted to because of this budget. And you get a lot of those companies that are getting that money. And again, that's publisher money. And if they don't have those, they kind of have to release these games that are these small indie experiences and then kind of use that success to kind of then make the game that they actually want the next time around. Yeah. It's... But um, yeah, I mean, the, the AAA model that is going right now is, is one that they have to evolve what the game is, the scale of the game and kind of work in a budget that kind of allows those games to make revenue to allow them to take risks to have the chance to make that revenue. But again, like you get these unrealistic expectations, especially through Square Enix, where like they'll create these games that sell well, but Square Enix is like, oh, you didn't sell well enough. So now we're gonna sell your entire studio. Um, It's very interesting because Square Enix is weird because they are actually the kind of like the example of, they make a differing budgets of games, right? But then it's weird how they expect them to seemingly sell the same no matter what kind of game it is and it's like you can't really expect a mana game to sell as much as a final fantasy and then 
even then, like, uh, you know, it's, it, it seems weird. It, it just seems. Well, I'm surprised they even did that star ocean remake considering the yeah. last star ocean sold horribly. Yeah. Oh, well, I mean, they're hedging on the fact that star ocean two is more known than making yes. the new one that they, uh, For sure. so, and, and I, I do think he, um, you know, the, the LinkedIn person that, that commented as well brings up a good point about the launcher. And we just saw what happened with the Epic and Google thing, how Epic won, right? What they couldn't do with Apple, they were able to do with Google. And now apparently at some point, don't know how this is going to go with appeals and whatever, that people are going to be able to launch their, have their own launcher in the mobile source, something Microsoft is wanting to do with Xbox, right? Um, with having King and and all that stuff. And Sony has made uh, deals with uh, mobile folks as well. Do you think that's another thing that we're going to start seeing? We're going to, are we going to start seeing more mobile games made by those publishers? I mean, well, I mean, it's a lot of money. I mean, Genshin, Genshin Impact proved that if you can make like a successful mobile game, you're going to make all the money in the world. I mean, they've got three games, you know, pretty much going with uh, Honkai Star Rail and then um, so uh, ZZZ, his own, I can't remember the, <laughs> what the abbreviation is for that. Um, but yeah, I mean, like there's there's one of those things where it's just like making new IPs is very difficult. I mean, that's why we're still going to see like another Gears of War. You know, right. like they're 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 still going to do that. We're we're still going to get like another Forza Horizon at some point. They're making Fable. I mean, like take a look at the the Game of the Year nominees this year. They were pretty much like all uh, all established sequels, yeah. yeah. So I mean, like it's it's very very tough of creating a new IP um, that has the same graphical fidelity of what people are demanding from AAA. Like, right. I don't need, like, the highest graphical fidelity for a game to absolutely entertain me. I mean, like, yeah, Robocop Rogue City looked amazing because of its Unreal Engine 5 use. Its people looked like garbage. But, I mean, that was still, like, I think, like, my fourth favorite game this year. So, I mean, like, there's, there is, like, a, there is an expectation that is gotten out of hand for AAA to the point where the return on all these games is very, very difficult yeah, for them to maintain. And I mean, like it's, it's going to be a very, very tough, like next year is going to be a very, very interesting year because I don't think we're going to see the same amount of these like big high budget games kind of creating, being able to exist still, you know, and, you know, again, yeah, like the, the live service model for a lot of these games, like I wouldn't be a bit surprised if like, the next gears multiplayer is more live surface than what the previous ones were. I wouldn't be a bit surprised if the next gears of war, if they just release a big live service gears of war and then do the story campaign later, because they can afford to do that with game pass. They can afford to split that stuff up. Uh, but, you know, I, I think also, you know, he, um, he brings up a great point about, uh, you're going to get a lot more remakes and remasters. And that brings me to what Sega, announced at the game awards uh that they're they're bringing back a bunch of their old franchises yeah. right um and but those aren't also like remakes those are just kind of like brand new versions of it right but they don't have extent. to be i guess that also kind of leads to the whole they're not i don't think they're going to necessarily be like they're not going to be what sony does they're going to be more sort of 
understanding that these are while they're known franchises they're also not the most um you know well known either they're trying to bring them back so they're going to have a budget in mind for them yeah i think that isn't the same that you're going to see with uh what we see with sony uh right now so uh I don't know if all you know Sega has a great deal with Microsoft. I don't know if some of those are going to be you know with Game Pass in mind and uh, that kind of thing as well. But I could I could see a few yeah. of them probably hitting on Game Pass. I don't think the entire lot is going to go there because they also said and more because they showed like right you know they, they showed a bunch of stuff but they also did said and more. Um, I think some of the more it's not really obscure but like the Shinobi one I could see that being a Game Pass title because I don't think it has the same brand recognition as something like. You know, Crazy Taxi is 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 well known. Jet Set Radio Future is like well known to to Sega fans. Shinobi does have some of that pull, but I don't think the the same extent. Um, it'll be interesting to see what Jet uh, like Jet Set or Jet Grind, you know, does for the the future of its line. Because I mean, like Bomb Rush Cyberpunk came out and was pretty much that game. Yeah, yeah definitely. I- you know, I, 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 this is, it's, it's such a like interesting conversation as far as just what could happen. There's a lot that's going to happen. Like you said, 2024 may just, I don't think that's going to be as great as this year. Uh, I don't know that we're going to get the amount of amazing releases that we did this year, but I do worry about like what you said, it's the, the negative impact is going to be felt more and we're going to have more and more of these conversations, you know? And the thing that that goes about it is if games are having these four to six year development cycles and they're basing all that, that um, they're hedging all their bets on a trend that is part of what that game is. um, It's, it's very, very tough because you get a, you get a company that's say spending like, you know, two hundred million dollars on a game that has like a particular type of thing, and then an indie game that has half that budget comes out a year before, and could possibly do that idea better. You know, like it's 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 a it's a it's a tough situation, you know, for that kind of stuff. And like, um, yeah, like you know, the, the comment there, like Microsoft does on dominate the online space. I mean, Sea of Thieves was is kind of proof of that as well too. Yeah. Um, you know, Sony parent company, Sony pushed for the, the Bungie acquisition because Sony owns them, not PlayStation. So, I mean, like they, they want, they wanted a lot of their tools essentially for, for being that type of thing. Um, but yeah, like it's, it's, it's one of those things where like, we're going to get games of all, of all types, whether it's live service games, whether it's just traditional multiplayer games, co-op games, single player games, sports games, like you're still going to have that diverse catalog, but you're going to have less risks within that diverse catalog. Right. And if, again, like if Sony can't get their first live service game out of the bat, I don't know what that's going to look like going forward. Which they've had issues with already. Not, not just last of us, but a number yeah. you know, destruction all Stars was supposed to be the one at the beginning of the generation, that thing. See, people like, forget you know, about like, that game, especially yeah. with like people going like, Oh, Redfall was like the first like disaster of this generation. It's like no, Destruction All Stars is a worse game than Redfall, yeah. and I don't like Redfall. <laughs> right? Yeah, exactly. Um, it it is about minimizing risk. It is about doing all those things. Um, I feel like that's kind of what Sega is doing as well. Like they feel like they it's been long enough. They can do these in the same style. Also, uh, .mu showed them that you know you can make a Street Fighter game or. St- 
Streets of Rage game, and it's amazing. So Sega yeah. probably figured, why not do it on our end too? Um, but yeah, yeah. I, I I do think that they're taking that inspiration from the indie side and saying, look, all these indie games are coming out that are like the games we made. Why don't we try to do that? Uh, just hopefully that they do it with uh, minimizing risk in mind and and understanding that there's a possibility that because those games already exist, they may not hit as big yeah. as, like, as they once did. Yeah, like even if you take a look at like um, the studio that made um, Immortals of Avium, like they ballooned up their staff to make that game based on, you know, again, they had EA money, but that EA originals program and stuff like that. And that game did not do well. And they basically are now back down to their core um, studio. They had to let go like practically like what half their studio or something like that. Um, so it's, it's tough for these single player games because they are one and done experiences yeah, mm -hmm. to, to balloon up to the point of, of what they're doing right now. So Sega is making like a whole bunch of these like smaller experiences because like I don't see um, Crazy Taxi or Jet Grind, the Jet Set Future or whatever they're calling this one um, or Golden Axe or Streets of Rage being these massive games. I think they are going yeah. to be kind of small, fun, bite-sized experiences. You know, Jet, Jet Set's going to be a little bit bigger experience than say something like the, the golden axe or whatever but i mean like i see shinobi being a good like eight to ten hour game i see series of rage being a good probably four to five hour game because like that's kind of based off repetition arcade games have always been mm -hmm. short like that. exactly you know golden axe i could see being like a, a, a 10 hour game maybe um but yeah like bringing back like older releases and stuff like that nostalgia is a huge you know trip when it when it when it works um yeah. i mean but, yeah, it, like, we we have every single studio has something that they're working on that has to do with a remake remaster hd 2d now is the yeah. the one I mean, capcom already yeah. said they're not done with the the remake so hopefully we're getting code veronica in five yeah um i don't know what they're gonna do with six um you know, surprised if they have, remake one again yeah and then you have long enough. sony basically remaking anything that's more than a month old so like i'm expecting a spider-man <laughs> one remake in the spring of next year um, uh, let's let's hope we don't go that that far oh god they're um, probably already remaking ragnarok it's probably yeah. almost ready to release <laughs> um yeah it's that is all i think um really interesting to see what we're going to eventually get let's see if any of these sega games come out next year or if that's for further um as well and also sega can do that why because they have persona they have uh you know like a dragon and uh well, oh yeah Sonic, atlas sort of, and rgg uh, are yeah i i almost don't even include them as part of like sega because like they've run their business so well um yeah but it's still nuts that they have two of their franchises coming out within a week of each other like who is thinking about this uh this release calendar for them also like why are you having a huge like a dragon release and then a a remake of a game that people have been waiting on coming you know within a week of each other i mean i, I know p3 uh reloads coming on game pass but still like i don't know give people Both a little are. more time yeah no I, I, infinite wealth i don't think it's game pass no no that was only uh guide in that came to game pass but i think infinite wealth you have to go buy it okay. but it's um it's still crazy to me that they're they're doing that but if we're gonna talk about releases i guess uh, something that we used to go to to look at upcoming releases is now officially officially dead it seems like because the esa themselves the organizers have said it is 
do you have i mean i get it summer games fest has kind of taken over sort of what e3 was in that vein but it still hasn't taken what e3 used to do in the periphery in the background uh so yeah. much what yeah, do like, you have any thoughts on that going away and like any memories of e3 or whatever that you well i think there's a i think there's a lot of different ways now that indie companies and, and, and can reach out to like publishers in regards to that because there's programs put in in place like the id at xbox and all that kind of stuff so i mean like again like a lot of those companies would you know bring their their presence to these trade shows to be able to talk with um publishers and big deals and and all that kind of stuff and that kind of stuff i think still happens it just happens in a very different way summer game fest kind of is been an okay replacement for e3 but with everybody kind of just coming and doing their own thing summer like the summer game fest has just kind of become more of a blanket around the whole summer more so than just that type of thing and you know e3 was kind of on its last legs you know when when sony left when nintendo left and then they created the directs and then that kind of set the standard and everybody's doing directs now um, and then COVID hit, and then that was the final nail in the coffin for that because right. you know, live events. And then, you know, E3 also, like ESA leaked the information, which, you know, put um, kind of a, a, a bad taste in everybody's mouth on the ESA going forward. And I mean, if Repop couldn't do it, no one can because Repop does packs and packs does extremely well. But at the exact same time, Repop put out the feelers for getting these types of people to show up, and there just wasn't enough interest to generate that type right. of thing because it's a very expensive thing to pull off and i think with everybody kind of doing their own thing i mean a lot of companies celebrate that thing devolver is known for doing their own thing and they put on a big show to announce their four or five games like there are these these big things nintendo does their own stuff and like capcom does their own spotlight if they have publishing deals or square enix has deals with sony then sony puts out their stuff through their their shows xbox has their developer directs and all that kind of stuff like there's no reason for e3 to exist in the way it does and even summer games fest you know a lot of that stuff like if you look at any summer games fest like 80 percent of that show could have just been a trailer on youtube and it would have generated the same interest not views but the interest right. for those games because like you even look at like the game awards there was probably about 10 games that were shown up to the game awards that we've already seen. Right. Know? But I think the game awards is different because look at the amount of views that thing got. Yeah, like you, you get know. the views, but I mean, like right. it's, it's the interest that matters in the end, because if you can have a trailer that gets like 80 million views, but if those don't translate to interest, then a lot of the, those publishers, they don't want to, they don't want to kind of invest the money because they suddenly have to buy floor space. They have to fly everything over there. I mean, like there was a there was a joke saying like, you know, what was what is what is the real definition of indie? And someone put a picture of like a bunch of developers like returning a TV, heading to return a TV after the game awards, because like you, you don't have that budget. So right. a lot of these companies and stuff, they don't they don't need to bring their presence over to these trade shows because the that all that is is advertising. And if they can do right. the advertising on their own terms, then you don't need things like that. Jeff Keighley brings in a, a large amount of eyeballs on the products, which is why Summer Games Fest is what it is, is because he celebrates the industry in certain ways, right? In certain ways, not. Um, but in regards to re 
replicating E3, Summer Game Fest is the only thing we have that replicates E3 in that respect. But a lot of it is the timing around other things. Because you look at Summer Games Fest, and everyone calls it Summer Games Fest, but you have Summer Games Fest for the one day, and then like Day of the Devs, and then Sony's thing, and then Nintendo's thing, and blah, blah, blah. But none of those really belong to Summer Games Fest. But because right. it takes place in a certain week or a month or whatever, it be kind of be, it kind of molds into one thing. Whereas E3 used to have it where it was like E3 press conferences and then you'd have Sony's and then Nintendo's and Xbox and stuff like that. But it was all under the E3 banner. Mm -hmm. Most of this isn't under the Summer Game Fest banner. Like, because you have like the uh, like the Summer Game Fest showing, which is like the three or two or three or four hour show where Jeff Keighley's showing trailers and all that kind of stuff. But then Microsoft's thing is not Summer Games Fest. Nintendo. Right, they'll, they'll tie it into it, but it's not. They'll tie right. it into it. So it's become this thing where everybody's just doing their own thing, but it's during that week of E3 because that's been the standard for a right. very, very long time. Yeah, it's unfortunate. Like we did, you know, we would see developers be able to meet up with each other and games happen because of E3. And there's games you know, that have happened yeah. in an elevator. Right. Right. Yeah, because so. they met each other at either. It's, um, it, I, I don't know that it's, it's, uh, E3 was also like an industry facing show where it feels like Summer Games Fest is not that also, um, Summer Games Fest also needs to, I think Jeff Keighley needs to separate what he does for the Game Awards to Summer Games Fest and stop trying to make this about, we need to get the highest of the high people in here. And Summer Games Fest needs to be more like E3, where you try to get anybody that wants to go uh, there to try to get more coverage and get it out there. And and it feels like you can't get like you guys or Outer Haven or smaller sites to yeah, show up. I think to Summer Games Fest, and that's year, terrible. I think next year they will expand a bit more because they do have that that type of thing where you go into that uh, um, the play days and, thing. Yeah. Yeah, like when you go in there and, and you, you see that. But I mean, like you're only getting the, the big guys there. Um, I don't know. Like I think PAX is one of those things where it fills that need for like the smaller teams and stuff going in. But I mean, like Summer Games Fest, like unless he expands into a bigger venue, I don't see it replacing E3 in that respect. Right. Uh, it's it's possible. It's, does he even want to do that also, right? Because it's 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 up. It's really it's Keeley's thing. It's up to whatever he wants to do. Does he really want to completely be what E3 was? I think that was part of the problem of why he wanted to uh, get well, out of. Doing I know he wanted E3, to leave so. because the E3 was trying to like branch off into like being more built around influencers and weird novelty things. Cause like there was just tons of that stuff that E3 was trying to do um, that he just didn't want any part of, but I don't know, like, because, like, right now he's still doing the thing where, like, he's bringing press out to try these games and stuff like that. And if you just expand that to even twice the venue size, you could bring in smaller teams and stuff like that. Um, I don't know whether or not that he has, like, an indie outlet day or something like that, where it's just nothing but the smaller outlets on one day and just extend it by one day. I don't know. Yeah, and it's... As has been said here, it's it's really about the fact that they can directly give uh you know these publishers and everything it's great what keely does but they're also you know giving their digital event directly to the consumers 
they're be able to set the pace and set everything. And, and Keely just kind of wanted to make his own branch around it. And it is cool to have all of these different things together with it. Uh, I still would like it to be a little more truncated still. Like sometimes it just feels like it's that month happens and it's like, oh my God, there is so much stuff to try to even, it's gotten better, right? Never the first one was like two, three months worth of things and it felt like it never ended. But I, I do feel like maybe that needs to be improved as well as to like, maybe we need to condense it a little bit more. That's what was the nice thing about E3. It was like three or four days of, oh, this yeah. is all happening, and then that's it, you know. Because there's lots of uh, conferences that take place during the summer of gaming that were at pretty much at the exact same time as others. Um, yeah. Because yeah. You, you would see, like, outlets basically swapping back and forth or, or, or kind of covering stuff, but then you got other ones that didn't need um, the trade show, like the Koch Media like that was the most boring conference I've yeah. ever seen in my entire life. Yes, yes, that was um, I don't know. It's it's one of those things where it's like the the publishers don't need these events anymore. Right. They can reach they directly don't. to their consumers. They've got platforms that they can reach on like, you know, like Nintendo can toss their stuff on a direct um but yeah, it's it's a it's a completely different industry now and like COVID again, like it it put the nail in the coffin of a lot of the live events and they just didn't have the strength to kind of come back. And in that time, publishers were like, Well, why do I need to spend eighty thousand dollars to you know show up at, at, at the ship all our stuff to to E3, let alone the two or three hundred thousand dollars to to rent the space? They don't need it anymore. No, definitely not. And then also like the thing is, as well, um, we saw all different kinds of publishers start to adopt that. And one of the ones that that loved E3, they loved the show of E3, was Ubisoft. And they started making their Ubisoft forwards. Um, you've been playing a Ubisoft game, Avatar Frontiers of Pandora. Yeah, um, I just read the review. What did what'd you think of it? Um, I've been hearing a lot of, is, is it Avatar or Far Cry? And, um, I think up? the Far Cry thing only comes from the fact that it's Ubisoft. To me, this is more of an evolution of what Crisis was doing. Um, because, like, again, like, this is a completely different team. This is massive. This, like, this is massive making this. This isn't the, uh, the, the Far Cry team. Um, so, I mean, it, it has similarities, and I think that any kind of open world, outdoor kind of game does. But to me, this feels way more like Crisis. Like you've got kind of like like stealth mechanics based on action in a very visually stunning world, um, and it just it feels more like that. It still has some of the like the copy and pasted nature that you get with something like Far Cry and, and even like Horizon Zero Dawn, um, but that stuff needs to exist to pad out its world. I don't think you're going to create unique experiences every twenty feet. Um, so I mean, like the tried and true nature of what it does for like repetition for for what it does in the world i think i still think works i think it's those things are tried and true for a reason they they, they work um i went into frontiers of pandora um only watching the initial reveal trailer this was no gameplay this was just like we're making an avatar game so i went into the game knowing absolutely nothing i i didn't watch any trailers whatsoever anything that i posted i didn't like like kind of consume um, so I went into it basically completely blind. And the only thing that I was expecting was like a Far Cry type of skin, essentially, you know, draped in, in 
in Avatar, but to me, it, it felt more like Crisis, and I really enjoyed the game. Like, the, the combat is extremely fun. The stealth mechanics are light enough that they don't feel like they're overpowering. Um, it is the probably, probably the best-looking game ever made. Um, the, really? The graphical fidelity, like, the people are still fine. They're fine. You know, but the the um, visual fidelity in this game is staggering for the amount of like vegetation that you have. Like that's all in game. Like it is unreal how much graphical fidelity is packed into its game. Um, it is it's super fun. Um, it is one of the best Ubisoft games I've played in years. Um, like I got so overpowered that I was taking out those scorpions in like one arrow um and it's it's super fun like the um the uh um ecrons there like they're not as agile as the trailers kind of show off they are a little slow but given the fact that you are traversing large open areas right. it feels slow but you are progressing really fast you know, like it's it's like when you're in a plane or whatever and you look down, you're like, oh, we're not really going that fast. And all of a sudden, like 15 minutes later, you're in another state, you know, like yeah. it 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 is is a very good game. And the fact that it's on sale right now, like I, I really do recommend it like it. Uh, it's canon, I guess, to the films, even though it takes place like after the second one. Cause it's like a big time jump. Like it starts yeah, that's what I was with, gonna like, ask you about what it where starts it with like. To? Yeah, like at the very beginning of the game, there's like a time jump and they talk about like how this like um, uh, avatar named like Jake Sully has like up uh, tipped the balance of whatever and all like all this kind of stuff. And then like you're kind of put in these like incubation chambers, whatever, and then you wake up like 16 years later. So like it doesn't it doesn't need to tie itself to the films, even though it is canon, according to um, Ubisoft. So I don't know exactly like how it'll play into future films or anything like that, but it does a good job. Like you've got the different clans that all feel different and unique. They've got different things that they can do. Um, it is, it it's it's really really good. Like um, I do like the combat. Um, the like you you can either go like pure navy and just do bows, and um, you have this like weird lacrosse stick that can kind of throw bombs. Um, and then like you have your spear throwers and stuff, but we also have like shotguns and assault rifles and the shotgun is so good against the, um, uh, the, the mechs. Um, but, uh, it's got a good story. And the, the one thing that I will say that is very interesting is the movies kind of have this surface level approach of kind of conveying the colonialism and, and all that kind of stuff. Like it, it doesn't, I think, dive into those things like to extensive degrees, but th this game does not pull any punches. Like it definitely is pulling from like the history of like when like the Catholic church would like abuse and torment and kidnap indigenous people. Like it dives right into that stuff and it becomes a core pillar. Like there's a part where like, they're investigating like one of the um, the old facilities when they were first taken, and they there's they bring up this like audio file how they were talking about how like the R RDP or RPD I can't remember what it is like the RDA or something like that yeah the, the facility the, the people were like essentially scrubbing the Navi off these kids 
um, like this is Mercer here. Um, and um, yeah, like they, it, it does a incredible job at conveying that story in a way that does not pull away from the message. It doesn't pull away from anything. They, there's a character that's kind of involved in a lot of that stuff that's kind of with you that you can either, you know, accept the past or confront it. You can choose to like, you know, determine if they were really in the wrong. Um, and it's, it's such a well-crafted story. It has some pacing issues. There's some parts of the story that are not amazing, but the core message of what it's doing with that story is unbelievably well done. Um, and I'm not an Avatar fan, you know, like I think the films are fine. Um, they're visually striking, which is what this game is. So it, it follows in that tradition, yeah. but, um, no, it's, it's a really decent game and like you can turn off all the navigational stuff. So if you get the, the, uh, the hints of like, oh, you can find this camp. If you follow the river that looks like a snake at the bottom of a mountain that has looks like a panther, like, and then <laughs> you, you follow those things if you want, or you can just right. pull up your navy vision and like, oh, blue dot, got to go there. And so like you can choose how to go through that game. So if you want to just live off the land and, and explore and go, you, you totally can. You'll find tons of side quests and people. Um, well, that's great. I mean, it, like, yeah. sorry. Um, it, I'm glad that at least that, that's what was something I was going to get because I'm not a big Avatar fan either, but that's good to know that um, you don't have to necessarily be an Avatar fan to enjoy this. It is a good game on its own. Yeah. Um, also, K-Med, uh, what's up? And happy holidays to you as well. Uh, thanks for watching. And yeah, thank you. Yeah, it's um, it's just it's really good that like it's sad that Ubisoft also brought it out like now, and you know people are kind of in the. It is great for like the holidays, right? If you're an Avatar fan and you're looking for something to go buy your kid or, or buy somebody that is an Avatar fan and they have a PS5 or a well, the, series, the, the yeah. best time for them to release it was pretty much around Christmas when you're going to have that that the the shop giving, you yeah. know, the, the gift giving kind of stuff going. And yeah, like you know, it it sucks that it gets released after the Game Awards have already determined the Game of the Year, and right. it's released at a time when some of the best games are discounted. I mentioned that in the my opening paragraph of the review, but this is a game that I I don't want people to sleep on. It is very very good. It looks amazing, even on PS5 and, um, and Xbox Series X. Um, the only difference really for Series S is it just has the 30 FPS version and it has less um, foliage. Right. Um, but everything else, like all the ray tracing, all that stuff's still there. Um, if you've got a good PC rig that can run it um, and you, you put all your settings to max, that's not max. You can actually, there's an um, unattainium mode that runs even better. So look out look on how to unlock that those settings and it will look even better um digital foundry did a, a a view on it and they didn't know about it until they got half their video done and they're like yeah so uh there it can look better and they showed it and it's crazy does. it is it is astonishing how good that game looks the real-time rendering rendering that they did for the lighting changes is way better than what they did for the division it's a completely different system but it still uses yeah. the snowdrop engine um but this is a visually stunning game that has like decent action and good stuff mechanics. And again, that's crisis. That's the very definition of crisis. Um, and like, yeah, I can see people comparing it to far cry or horizon zero dawn and all that kind of stuff, but 
in the end, it is a very good game. It's got a great story. The characters are not as memorable as I think that they could be, but I think that's just because there are so many names thrown at you, whether you're knowing like Otoma or Itu, like there's all these names that are so similar. Right. Where like yeah. you're you know, but it does a it does a good job with its with with what it has and um it it, it is very, very entertaining. Well, that's awesome to hear. Uh, we'll have to be one that I'll I'll definitely check out. It is uh, it is getting put on sale a lot. I think even yeah, it's like forty like percent off or something like that. Yeah, like, and I think even if you have it like when they were selling on QVC, it was like or, thirty bucks or something. Or even just like, get a uh, one month for Ubisoft Plus or whatever yeah, that service is called, and you can play it on there. Um, I, I was like, thinking about doing that with uh, Prince of Persia when that comes out because I'm yeah. excited for that uh, coming out pretty quick in in January. Um, Anything else you want to talk about gaming-wise that you've been playing? Or? Um, well, I've been playing um, Warhammer 40k Rogue Trader, um, which is kind of like the Baldur's Gate 3 of um, of Warhammer. Um, it doesn't quite have that same budget or presentation. You know, that's kind <laughs> of unfair because, you know, yeah. it is what it is. But if you are looking for something, if, you, if you've played Baldur's Gate 3 to death and you're like, I want, I, I want to play something like that, check out this game. It has that clunky kind of chunky kind of Warhammer feel. So like everything feels like it's very weighted. Um, some of the systems in regards to like progression and all that kind of stuff are a little confusing. Um, but uh, it's still really good for what I've played of it so far. I've put about six or seven hours in. It's a, it's supposed to be anywhere between 50 and a hundred hours, depending on how in depth you get with a lot of the stuff. But um, it's, it's inconsistent on what's voiced and what's not, but the stuff that's voiced is really good. And the, it's, it has something similar to final fantasy 16, where if you don't know a certain word, you can press Y and then click over and any words that are highlighted, you can see the definition for them. So if you don't know what, like, you know, a certain Warhammer term is, cause like I'm a very surface level Warhammer fan. Like I love the video games. I don't know anything else about anything else for yeah. Warhammer. Because like Dark Tide was super fun, I enjoyed playing that. But Road Trader is really good. It runs really decent on the Steam Deck, so I'm playing it there. Um, but yeah, it's it's really good so far. Um, it definitely scratches that itch if you're looking for something that is similar to Baldur's Gate three. Just don't don't expect the depth or presentation. Um, that's just not there. And even the um, the lead designer on that game went on Twitter saying like, you can't compare us to Baldur's Gate three. Right, you know, like it just it just doesn't work that way. Um, There's so many when you're talking about like a, a game that's been game of the year for so many reasons. Like that's very hard to try to make that yeah. comparison. But if you're looking for a good CRPG, um, Rogue Trader is very very good so far. Um, yeah. The cast of characters are really nice. You get the like within about an hour and a half, you get to pick a choice of whether or not you are like for the emperor, for the people, or like for death type of type of things. So you have right. these different. Um, ways that you can go throughout the game that kind of change certain uh, equipment that you can wear, certain quests, certain people, like they'll they'll take to certain things because like I have the people that I have on my team right now, some of them are like, yeah, Emperor, go, and then some of them are not. So like it it varies and it's got that it's got the depth there where you can pick a lot of different choices. Like it's got a lot of the same systems where it makes the rolls on certain things, but it's not as in-depth of a D&D experience as something like Baldur's Gate. This is more akin to something like Divinity Original Sin, where it has those systems, but it doesn't commit 100% to a particular like rule set. But it's it's good. It's good so far. Like again, I'm only about six hours in. So like 
I've got a lot going on there, but you can like make your ship and all that. Uh, you don't make your ship, but like you can customize it on certain things and stuff like that. Um, but again, like it's got a, it, it's a game that has a budget and you do see the budget. Um, yeah. So there, ain't, there, are, there are not like full big, like animated cutscenes, like, you know, for dialogue or anything. Everything is basically from that viewpoint. The shooting feels like really chunky and I like that. Um, but it's, it can be super violent and, and super gory and the, the it's it's really good so far like i am i am quite enjoying it it's got a very nice look to it um so that you can make what your ship kind of looks like to a certain extent interiors and you can add people into different positions and stuff um but it is it is quite good so far yeah it's good to hear um so you know just for me i guess to to kind of start wrapping this up i have uh I'm going to feel like the old man in the room. I don't play Fortnite. I usually don't play those kind of games. So I am a huge Rock Band fan. And knowing that there was a mode added to Fortnite called Fortnite Festival, I had to try it out, even though it doesn't have, right now, doesn't have the instruments. They are, apparently PDP is going to make instruments, uh, or at least make the guitar, that you can then uh, use the Fortnite Festival, because it seems like, they're not going to try to make a rock band five. They're going to make a rock band, whatever this is going to be in here. Uh, and I don't know if you tried it out, Jeff at all, but no, I've seen yeah. people talk about it and I've seen the only people, the only thing that people have been really like driving home that is bad about it is the monetization is way too expensive and yeah. it doesn't have the content to kind of support what it is right now. Yeah. The, the songs seem more expensive than what they are in rock band four. And also the fact that they switch them out constantly. So the only way you actually get to keep the song that you play by yourself is if you buy it. So uh, it is kind of more like a uh, let's what if we had a Spotify version of uh, Rock Band where we constantly keep switching stuff out. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. You know, for like, purchasing a song for a certain license uh, or a certain degree, like timeline of license more so than just yeah. purchasing it. Because that's been the problem with like bringing those games back or remastering them or whatever the case is, is they'd have to rework all of those agreements. And that could be even more money than what they'll pull in. Yeah. I mean, it is amazing to me when they announced on uh, that's the whole reason I've always had an xbox since the 360s because i have like 2000 songs on rock band and then when like they had them all come out for rock band 4 i was like wow this is in incredible i thought they were going to be you know lost forever i'd have to always go back to my 360 or something or my xbox one and the fact that you know it still works and all that is great um i do think this is a, a cool thing uh i think I'll, I'll be interested to see You've got all these new people into Rock Band, maybe that only play Fortnite and, and didn't play it before. I'll, I'll be interested to see if you have Fortnite uh, instruments, if that's going to uh, well, really start a wave of uh, Guitar Hero Rock Band again. Yeah, um, I mean, you have Microsoft who could literally bring back Guitar Hero. Yeah, that too. They could do it. But, yeah, because um, I tried the the racing thing as well too, like the Fortnite racing that they did. And yeah, the, I played that as well. What do you that, think? I, I thought it was good. Yeah. I think it's good. I just think it lacks the content. I think honestly, mm -hmm. this this stuff could have released. I think in the spring with even more content and just been more future rich, because that's right. the thing that sucks about these like live service games is like they release kind of like scraps and they're like, don't worry, the the meal's coming. Just mm -hmm. like here's these like appetizers until we actually get something going. And that that kind of sucks. It's kind of like Epic's thing of like 
hey, we're going to see if you like this. So we're going to give you this. And if you like it, well, then we'll keep doing stuff. There is that as well, too. But yeah. Um, yeah. yeah um, the other game I've talked about a few times, but I got a lot, lot farther in In Stars and Time. Um, yeah, I've only seen yeah. like, like bare minimum on that as well. Yeah, it's I'm not uh, you know big into these time loop games or whatever, but this one is grabbing me. It's probably also because the characters are so good. Um, the the story and the character work in this game is is fantastic. As far as like, look, they talk a lot, but you actually kind of want to read what they're saying, right? And mm-hmm. like the banter they have with each other is is really fun and. Um, all of that, you know, I like the sort of the premise of the story and getting to see that go on. Um, you know, I'm part of, I'm in the act three part that apparently is supposed to be like the most, uh, kind of time consuming part. So I haven't gotten to that yet to see like what I've seen folks talk about, but as far as of what I've been through and, and just kind of having that experience of like, okay, this is what I have to do to go to the next loop and, figure out how to get this key from this time and all that. it's like actually really neat for me just to kind of experience that and then having all the the character work that kind of pushes me through and then also it being an rpg as well that it's turn-based and you do have all the sort of turn old turn-based mechanics kind of has a undertale feel as well so yeah i i definitely yeah, think I, people should should the black, uh, like check it out. with the white borders and stuff definitely yes. has that um i'm enjoying a lot hopefully folks that have played it uh are enjoying it and i just i feel like it is kind of one of those like underrated gems that it came out like the week of thanksgiving and probably was like the worst time for it to to come out because you also had i think uh, persona 5 tactica and like a dragon gaiden also come out at the same time and i think all of those games maybe except for gaiden because infinite wealth is coming out so quickly after yeah people kind of just put that on a list of oh i'm gonna play these and then who knows <laughs> you know yeah, guided was fun but it felt like if they had just done this as some type of like yakuza like dlc netflix no like netflix animated movie you would have got the same story across because like yeah so much of that game was filler but you could tell because it was meant to be dlc yeah, so much of that, that game is gated. Like it feels like, oh wait, but I can't go yet because I have to do something else. And yeah. it's like it's it's weird. Uh, like I still I still do enjoy it because it is that Yakuza. It's like you know Kiru's like last like real time combat kind of Yakuza game. So like there there is that of it, and there's there's some pretty good emotional moments. But to me, this this could have just been an animated movie leading into Infinite Wealth. Um, because like the amount of story that's actually there is about two hours. Yeah, no, I agree with you there. That's kind of why I've been a little bit, I'll play it here and there, but I haven't just totally dived in to playing that constantly because of the whole, it feels like I'm being pushed to do all well, of the, which you like, do in Like a Dragon normally, but I'm, it feels yeah. more so in this. And there's so much of it's like, oh, man, I could really go for some sushi. And then you have to walk around looking for sushi. I'm like, I just started ignoring those people. Yeah. And, like the, the sub stories, it was kind of weird because like the sub stories were so good in the previous games because you just stumbled upon them. They just, they mm-hmm. were just there. You saw, but now you have to go into a menu and click it. Like it doesn't yeah. have that same discoverability. And that's the thing that kind of was, I don't know. It just feels like it's a task instead of. Yes, exactly. Uh, 
like, oh, we're finding these stories and now I kind of want to see what happens with this. Now it's more like, oh, I have to do all these little things so I can get the amount of points that I need so I can keep going into the story. And yeah. that's kind of like, uh, again, know. it's it is fun. But to me, like, I'm really looking forward to Infinite Wealth because, like, I only played most of Like a Dragon, like the, yeah. the one with Ichiban. Um, I didn't get um, too terribly far in it. Um, and I did like what it was doing, but I played the demo for Infinite Wealth. And I'm like, yes, I am, I am sold on this. And, and, like, as much as I, like, I'm going to play it in English because I like Ichiban's voice actor in English. And I like hearing the yeah. game in English. But Kiru's voice, my God, is it bad. Yeah, I've tried. Like, I wish, I've tried like, if you could to... turn Kiryu to be, if you could, if if, if you could have him speak in Japanese and everything yeah. else was English, oh It'd be my great, God. right? Best of both worlds. Uh, it sucks that that's uh, what they did, but I, I'm used to playing those games in Japanese. I did play uh, Like a Dragon uh, in, in 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 English, so I'm with you on the whole Ichiban's voice actor and everything. Uh, mm. Will be interesting once we get to the bigger game how that's all mm. uh, received and all that. But yeah, um, anything that like you have coming up, I guess you want to promote. Um, we so we just had our podcast today, going over our own personal top tens. So those will be posted on the site um, once I. We we have a bunch of categories and stuff like, you know, like the best spinoff and like a best action game and best soundtrack and best voice actor and all that kind of stuff. So once that kind of hits, and I'm hoping to have that 100% done on New Year's. Um, but we just had our podcast, so that should be hopefully coming out um, later tonight or tomorrow uh, for the top tens. Um, and we also crowned our um, uh, game of the year for analytic game as well too. Um, it all came down to basically like a, a point system essentially, because okay. um, before it was originally where um, Jordan had won the the game awards type of thing. So whoever gets the game awards breaks a tie, and the problem with that is that there's only two of us, so there was always going to be a tie. Um, so we did a point system essentially. And, uh, one of the games that we, that scored the most points took our game of the year. And it was one that we felt, you know, kind of worked towards what it was doing and it's an excellent game. Um, but, uh, you'll see that on the, on the, the podcast. And then eventually we'll be putting the, uh, the year end stuff on the website, which will be a top 10, our game of the year. And then all of the categories. Yeah. Uh, we're going to do, I was, uh, going to have uh randy give his top 10 this week when he was on but um so he might end up doing that in written form uh for next week and then i'll kind of just give out his when mark and i give out ours on the next uh podcast episode and then we'll probably the week after that do our top 25 uh games of 2023 and you know yeah, then, we're, we just did our yeah. top 10 and then like the categories i think there's like probably like 30 categories i think oh, wow um just kind of covering the game we have the best podcast game and you know best like uh, how we did how <laughs> we're doing ours is best indie slash small scale game okay so that uh dave the diver naturally fits in there that um but um yeah like I, i've done that before but it's just been me um, right. so now having Jordan on the website and stuff like that, like there's some categories that we're going to have to have discussions about and stuff like that. Um, like best fighting game for me, for example, um, is one that I've played and I think it is the best fighting game this, this year. Um, but, um, yeah, it, it, it all varies depending on, on the type of category. Cause I want to have as much of a diverse type of thing, um, to have those games. Cause like, 
if you put if, like for example like a top 25 if you do it like a top 20 and you put a game at like 17 or 18 what kind of recognition does that really get where if yeah. i could put it as like oh my my number 16 game was best podcast game of the year like best game to listen to a podcast to type of thing like it's one of those games that type of thing but yeah um, you know because like you get a game like Dusant, and Dusant is very very good and to me it's a, it's a very very good game that you can put a podcast on and just wrap that game in the length of the podcast very true i enjoyed my time with that game as well so i agree with you there it's definitely one that i like the music but i could i, I easily just started putting something else on and just like okay let me make my trek through this and uh very much uh, thank you so much, uh, Jeff, for, yeah, for coming on and helping out. Um, definitely go listen to both him and Jordan on the Gaming Mix. Uh, go check out the the Analytic website. Go check the Outer Haven as well. Uh, we just did our. I'll link it in the the description. Um, I was I did blurbs for uh, the Outer Haven Game of the Year. Also, kind of did my top ten through there. Mine might change a little bit from the one I did with them. Cause I've played some more stuff since then, but um, it's, it's, <laughs> I can't believe the one that won one. Uh, I'm sure that will be a lot of controversy that folks to go uh, check it out. Um, for the Outer Haven. Yeah. For the Outer Haven. Yeah. I haven't checked. So, that. I, haven't, I haven't checked to see what their, their game of the year is, but uh, um, they did it on the, everybody's top tens uh, kind of makes it into a points. And then that's yeah, that's what we ended game. up doing today. Like we did like our number one is worth 10 and then nine. Yeah, and exactly. Six and our one that one got 12 points. So, you know, it's one of those things where like, it, it just, it just how it works. And then it was the, the one title that was on both of our lists where, where we were like, yeah, I, I could totally, I could totally it, pick. That. It's actually a lot better to do it that way. I've really been thinking about doing it that way this, this year, especially because it's only two of us like you guys. Um, well, we had, yeah, past, we, had a, yeah. we had a tiebreaker yeah. type of thing, whereas it was either going to be like Baldur's Gate 3 or Alan Wake 2, you know, and then if you do the tiebreaker thing, then that that title wins because of a decision like that, not because it's, yeah. you know, what it's just one of those things where it's like you have to do some type of system. Otherwise, when you only have two people, if there was a third or a fourth or a fifth or whatever, where you had a lot more coming in to make those decisions. Exactly. It's a lot easier to, to kind of have those clear things. But Yeah, we used to do it, uh, well, every year before then, except last year we, it was only the two of us, and I was like, this whole trying to argue about which one should be where and ordering it on the podcast is not as fun because you don't have the different voices coming in. And when it's just two people, it's like, oh, this kind of – it feels like we're just going through a, a list and a process. And I'm like, if we're going to do that, I might as well just, uh, I like what giant bomb did this year where they kind of argued about what was going to be the number. Thing. And yeah. then people just, they did the ordering with their tops, uh, top fives and all that. And I was like, that kind of makes more sense than, than doing it this way. So we'll see. Uh, so I made the, the final decision when we get to that, but that's for a couple weeks from now, next week, we'll definitely do our top tens. Uh, so that's something to look out for. And then we'll do our most anticipated games of 2024 as well. Uh, and, and another show probably before the, the game of the year one. Um, so definitely go check out Jeff's stuff. Go check out Outer Haven. Go um, go check out. Uh, I forgot to do the housekeeping at the beginning because we we had so much to talk about. But um, 
Go check out Violation Broadcasting stuff on the YouTube channel, W2 Network. Remember, if you go subscribe over there, uh, you don't just get what we do. Uh, you get uh, what they do, which is pretty much like everything that has to do with uh, entertainment and movies. Uh, they've reviewed Godzilla Minus One. Uh, they've reviewed um, the uh, the boy in the the Heron review was done by the Tata Keiki folks on Anima. They did an, the, the anime podcast. They just did uh, the Wonka movie review. Uh, Scott Pilgrim takes off. So they've done a lot of stuff uh, lately. So uh, definitely go give them a shout. And we're also available on podcasts, so you can check us out there. Um, so again, thank you, Jeff, and everybody have a happy holidays. Merry Christmas. Um, we'll be back before the new year. Uh, but yeah, for sure. Everybody enjoy your, your holidays and we'll see you next week, everybody. Bye.